0: hello shameless moms happy monday if you're listening in live time i am in live time getting ready to go down to take Vinny to a baseball tournament like a travel baseball tournament for the first time it's going to be a bunch of moms and sons going to a baseball tournament and i don't know how i got to this level of baseball momming <laughs> i kind of got here kicking and like kicking and screaming and refusing to get here, but yet still I'm here because these are the things our kids do to us, right? (laughs) They talk us into doing things that we have previously said, no, we will never do that. And but in all honesty, I'm excited about it and looking forward to it. And I'm sure if you follow me on Instagram at Shameless Mom Academy, you will get to spy on the trip through some photo updates, photo and video updates in my stories over the course of this week. It should be a lot of fun and some cute adventures with lots of 11-year-old boys who can be cute and not cute sometimes because that's the nature of an (laughs) 11-year-old. So anyway, I'm very excited about that. And funny how this kind of ties into our topic today. So today we're going to be talking about how to manage motherhood, exhaustion, and burnout. And I have to say, it's saying yes to all the things, including travel baseball tournaments, that maybe lead us to motherhood, exhaustion, and burnout. So I'm excited to dig into this topic. I think it's a really important one. It's something that I have talked about in different ways over time, but we're going to really dig deep today and get some different level of specificity, I think, that will hopefully help you build a more clear picture of why you feel the way you feel and help you identify how you feel and then also help you identify what you want to how you want to move forward what you want to take with you after this conversation and also what you want to leave behind and i think that you might feel some surprising shifts happen as we talk things through today this is one of those episodes where once i started down the ra- my little research <laughs> rabbit hole I couldn't find my way back out because I was digging through this research and information on motherhood burnout and exhaustion and every piece of information and research that I came upon led me to more information that I didn't know I needed. And then it kept expanding to the point that causation was like, oh, well, this is just basically like like everything, how women are socialized. (laughs) But it got really, really big. So my goal here is to narrow down everything that I learned so that it's really clear to you what burnout and fatigue exhaustion look like in motherhood, what the symptoms are, what the causes are, and then what are some solutions so that you actually can move forward and do something to help you better manage yourself and your energy starting today. And I was realizing at a certain point I was building like list upon list upon list in collecting my information for this episode. And so I made myself do some organization so that this would be really clear for you. And my hope is that you will be able to clearly see what I have now seen as the pervasiveness and insidiousness of burnout and exhaustion in motherhood and how it profoundly impacts mothers, but also that you can see some hope that we're all in the same system, we have all been socialized by the same system, and there's a way to break free from the system In many different ways not all the ways we are still subject to many vices of the system but there's a lot of ways we can break through when we really take a close look in terms of what's going on and how we got here so the truth is that we're all tired right i haven't met a mom who wasn't tired we're beyond tired a lot of us don't know it so you might be like i don't know i don't feel that tired Maybe because you've been tired for like seven or 17 years. (laughs) So we're walking around in this state of fatigue and often a state of malaise that we just see as normal. Like we've been so tired every single morning we've gotten out of bed for so many years that it doesn't feel abnormal. We just think like this is how everyone feels. And the reality is, is This is how most moms feel, but maybe not how like the whole world feels. And with this comes this way in which we don't recognize who we are anymore and we don't know how to find ourselves again. We don't even know if we wanna find ourselves again because we don't know what we're looking for. It's all very unclear and we can feel very directionless. And when we feel directionless, it's really easy to put time and energy into other things that have a more clear sense of direction, like raising kids (laughs) and raising kids there's like, every day there's certain steps you have to take, right? And sometimes just staying in those patterns helps us feel like we have a sense of direction. Sometimes staying in our work patterns help us feel like we have a sense of direction so we don't have to actually look at ourselves. And sometimes that can be really comforting to hide behind motherhood or hide behind our work so that we don't have to look at ourselves. But at a certain point, it will happen that you suddenly realize that I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want. I don't even know what I like anymore. I don't know what brings me joy because I haven't had to think about it in so long because I haven't made myself think about it in so long. And what does this mean moving forward? What does this mean for who I am after my kids leave the house? Or what does this mean for who I am after I'm done with this career or after I'm done running a business or after I'm done with this season of my life? And it's easy to also think like who has time to find themselves (laughs) and where we have all these immediate and urgent tasks that fill our days and our nights and our dreams and our nightmares, right? It's not like you have time every day where you're like, well, I could spend this time to find myself, but instead I'm going to do this like urgent list of to-do items. No, like the urgent list of to-do items is so omnipresent and so right in front of your face, you don't even recognize that you don't know who you are. And nor does it occur to you to say like, oh, I'm going to put all these things on this urgent list on hold so that I can go find myself for an hour. And so we are going to talk through how you can start to recognize the need for that and then prioritize it in a way that helps you maybe deprioritize the urgency of some of the tasks that we just make, you know, that we dive into most immediately out of default than any more so than anything else. So in this episode, we're going to dig into the symptoms of motherhood exhaustion and burnout. We're going to dig into the causes, and we are going to talk about what the causes that get us to this point of not recognizing ourselves, not intentionally creating joy for ourselves, losing ourselves in our marriages and in motherhood. And then from there, we're going to go ahead and dig right on into how we can dig our way out in ways that feel really good. So let's start with symptoms. What are symptoms of burnout? So you might be familiar with symptoms of burnout at work or burnout in a relationship. But what does burnout in motherhood look like? I've talked a little bit already about what it looks like. It looks like being tired to the point that you don't recognize that you're tired anymore. It looks like just responding to everything that's like right in front of you without having any sense of what do I need right now or what do I want or what would bring me joy and instead just prioritizing what other people need and want. It can also feel like an inability to cope, like you're so tired, drained, and fatigued that you don't know how to cope with things. And so coping might begin to look like things like excessive drinking or drug use or substance use or abuse. It can look like sugar. It can look like overeating. It can look like binging and numbing out, like binging and numbing out on TV. It can look like anything that just lets us feel numb or feel a little less heightened, because we feel so heightened all the time in terms of what people need from us. And so we can start to build these unhealthy coping mechanisms. Burnout can also look like poor sleep. It can look like being sad and angry and irritable or just not caring. It can be being totally apathetic. Like I'm so far beyond irritated and tired that I don't even care anymore. (laughs) It can look like getting sick more often, feeling run down, kind of always being on the edge of getting a virus or maybe getting back-to-back viruses. It can look like muscle pain or frequent headaches. It can look like tension and stress, how we feel that in our body. It can be a lack of motivation, feeling trapped, helpless, or defeated. It's okay if you feel trapped in motherhood because it can be pretty trapping. (laughs) It can be an increasingly negative outlook and maybe a perpetually negative outlook or increasingly negative, a negative sense of motivation or perpetual sense of loss of motivation. It can feel like detachment from friends and family and the world as a whole. It can feel like detachment from people we used to have strong relationships with or detachment from the people that used to make us laugh. I've had many realizations since becoming a mom where I'll be in a situation and I will start to laugh about something and I will realize, oh my gosh, I haven't laughed like this in so long. That's always followed by like, I need to put myself in situations where I get to laugh like this more often because day to day life can be heavy and hard and serious and intense. And so when we get into those situations where we get to laugh until we're like crying and peeing our pants, oh my gosh, it's such a big gift. And sometimes that only happens every few years. And so how can we recognize like we're detaching from the relationships that allow us to just really be in the positive emotion of a moment with a friend or a family member, a coworker, whoever's like really close to us that we love spending time with, because we've detached from that relationship because it just felt like too much to hold on to, or it just felt like other things took priority over time and it kind of just slipped away without us even realizing it. Burnout and exhaustion can also look like lack of enjoyment or a decreased sense of satisfaction or accomplishment. Again, going back to that kind of apathetic feeling, and it can look like avoiding avoidant behavior. So avoiding responsibilities or avoiding things like hobbies, activities, Avoiding people, just kind of this like, I just want to go and hide feeling that can be that's not and none of these things on their own are necessarily indicative of burnout or exhaustion. But I'm guessing you're like, oh, yeah, like that one and that one and that one (laughs) ring true. You might be feeling a lot of these symptoms, you might be feeling just a few of them. But to a larger degree, a combination of any of them is probably a sign of some exhaustion and fatigue and burnout in motherhood. around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to aquatrue.com. That's A Q U A T R U.com and enter the code shameless at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use the code shameless. S H A M E L E S S. AquaTrue.com code shameless. So, what causes this? First of all, these are all really normal symptoms because burnout is really normal in motherhood. Burnout is really normal in all the things that we have to carry. So what causes this exhaustion? What causes the fatigue? First and foremost, it's the mental load. It's the mental load of caregiving. It's so massive, and it's so ongoing. It's infinite and indefinite and uncertain and unpredictable. It's often really incredible, but it's always with a lot of mental load. The cause can also be that our plates are too full. We haven't been socialized to delegate. We don't trust others to do things as well as us. We have been socialized that we can do it all and that we should do it all, and that we should not burden other people by asking them to do things, and that if we want to show others that we are good enough and worthy, that we will do everything on our own. So we have this culture around us where women are not encouraged to ask for help, and women are not good at receiving help. Those are two different things that we're not good at asking for help, but we're also not good at receiving help. So even if someone offers to help, you're like, oh, no, no, I got it. It's totally fine. And then you think, oh, my gosh, like, what if I actually let them do that? That would have been amazing. This happens all the time when maybe your whole household is like down with the flu. And someone's like, hey, can I run to the store for you? Can I bring you all some soup and leave it on your porch? And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. But then you find yourself making dinner at six o'clock that night while you yourself have the flu. And you're thinking, huh? maybe I should have let that person leave some soup on my porch. (laughs) That would have actually been really helpful. It would have been really lovely. And I wouldn't have to be standing in the middle of my kitchen while I feel horrendous trying to serve others. Another cause is doing too much because we are overproving, overproducing, and overgiving and overdoing constantly to the point that we don't even realize it. I was reading something the other day, um, a post, there's this neighborhood parent group, Facebook group that I'm in. And it's actually like three neighborhoods. It's a really big group. I think there's like 11,000 parents in it or something. And people were talking about birthday parties. And this woman, or I think it was a mom posted, it could have been a parent, I have no idea. But a parent posted about hosting a kid's birthday party and saying like, we've been trying to figure out a way to do birthday parties that aren't too over the top, not too expensive, etc., cetera. Does anyone have any ideas? The person, the parents said, I've looked into a number of places, but like they all have high rental fees and blah, blah, blah. So this post had tons and tons of comments with suggestions, and it was a fascinating study on the burden of birthday parties. <laughs> and I noticed that most of the, in fact, maybe all of the people that replied, I think there was like 60 comments when I looked at it, very close to all, if not all of them were moms versus dads that replied. So that just says who plans birthday parties. And then... The people who were like, oh, yeah, we like to keep it really simple. And then they would explain what they did to keep it really simple. And I was like, that is not simple. That is expensive. That's time consuming. That's energy consuming. That's like you have to do like 18 crafts to pull it off that way. Like instead of paying money, which I get, you're like wanting to do it on the cheap. But then you've decided to like make all this stuff, which is totally cool if you love making stuff. But that sounds awful to me. (laughs) so all of these, not all, a lot of the ideas, though, to make a birthday like inexpensive or really simple still involves so many steps and a great expense of time, energy, and money. And as I was reading, I noticed that very few people were like, we just take like a friend to dinner or we just have, there was one woman who said, we set up early on that like my, each kid can have three or four friends spend the night and it's a, and it's a sleepover. That was probably the most simple thing that I saw on the list. A lot of others were like, oh, we found this place to rent. That's like, it's only $750. And I was like, $750, <laughs> that's not cheap. So noticing... The things, the webs we get ourselves caught in and the cycles we get ourselves caught in when we are overproving, overproducing, overgiving and overdoing, and we don't even know how to simplify anymore. We don't know, like we feel like we have to meet these expectations that our kids expect things to be done to a certain level. Our community, the moms around us expect things to be done to a certain level. So we just keep doing them to that level, even if it doesn't really meet our needs, even if it's not what we really want to do, even if it's not aligned with our values. So these causes, this is all about the socialization of mothers. It's all about mothers wanting to be enough and do enough because they don't want to be the mom that didn't do enough for their kid. The way that we're socialized creates such a massive mental burden. And it's really hard to see your way out of it when you don't see anyone else stepping their way out of it either and so we just stay in these cycles we stay doing the things that we've been doing to the level that we've been doing them even when we hate doing them even when we don't want to be doing them because we think well this is just how it is this is just what I have to do or that like I always have to you know create like the cutest fanciest party every year I have to every year I have to outdo myself I was noticing this year for various like Halloween we never even got pumpkins this year (laughs) I was like I'm so here for this we're not even here on Halloween night. Anyways, we go trick or treating. We're gone from our house for like four hours. We live on a steep hill. No one walks up the hill. Why do we bother getting pumpkins? We didn't get pumpkins this year. We have Halloween decorations, never took them out of the closet. So noticing like, where can you cut corners that are corners that don't matter? Like, they don't matter. No one cared or noticed that we didn't have pumpkins. My kid cared about a costume. So fine, we'll get the costume. He, he cares about where we're going trick-or-treating and who can come with us. Like he doesn't care about the pumpkins. Maybe next year he will. But this year he didn't care. We didn't do it. Um, same thing with Christmas. There were some things that we didn't even, I was noticing as we cleaned up our Christmas decorations, I was noticing the things that we never took out. And I was like, oh, that's kind of nice that we didn't take those things out. We still took out plenty of decorations, but we don't have to do it all. We don't have to make it bigger every single year. So when we look at these causes, when we look at the way that moms are socialized and how we're socialized to overdo, overprove, we're socialized to not delegate, we're socialized to not ask for help and also not receive help, we're socialized to carry this massive load without even realizing how massive it is until we're totally burnt out, we have to then look at what are the implications. And the implications of all of these causes are all the symptoms that we experience that I listed just a few minutes ago about feeling unable to cope and being angry and sad and irritable and apathetic. Um, of having unhealthy coping mechanisms, of having this increasingly negative outlook or loss of motivation, the feeling of detachment or loneliness or isolation, even though we're always surrounded by people, it seems like a lack of enjoyment or a decreased sense of satisfaction, avoidant behavior in terms of activities and hobbies and even avoiding people. So then what can we do for this? So what's really important is recognizing that recovery from exhaustion or burnout It's not like take a nap one time and you're good. It is a long process. So it took you a long time to get here. It will take you a long time to untangle it. And so the first solution is a long term commitment to energy management, a long term commitment to basic health habits. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to upend your entire life to do these things. So let's be really clear. You can't Counter burnout with adding a whole bunch more things to your plate that's just going to make you more burnt out. So, how can you create a long term plan, a long term commitment to energy management or to basic health habits that feel good to you and that you are integrating in a way that allows you to continue to do them on a daily basis, that they bring you joy and immediate gratification to the point that you want to do them, that you're not thinking, oh my gosh, I just had to add five more things to my to do list to help manage my burnout and now I'm more burnt out. So recognizing that this is gonna be a long-term commitment to managing my energy in a better way and that I can't undo this in just one nap or even a couple weeks and probably not a couple months. It might even take a couple years. And what can we do then a little bit at a time for us to be able to shift back into a more healthy relationship with our management, with our energy management, with the way we manage time and the way we take care of ourselves. Next, looking at basic health habits. So when we can build a long term commitment to basic health habits, what does that look like? It can be really simple things. It can also be simplifying things that you might be really overcomplicating in your head. So maybe you're like, yeah, I know I should work out. But that means I have to go get the gym membership, and I have to pack the bag and I have to drive to the gym. What if you just got, Some free weights at your house and got some on demand workouts, whether it's through the Peloton app, who's a past sponsor of the show, or there's all sorts of free stuff on YouTube, like free workout stuff. Just doing a 15 minute video with some dumbbells in your house. What if it was a commitment to nutrition? So, one of the things I've done more and more over the last few years, I make amazing salads. Like, I'm known for my salads. I could do a whole episode on how to make a great salad. (laughs) But it's also time consuming to make these salads. And I've started buying pre-made salads like in the bag with all the stuff in them and you just like throw the dressing on. And it's been the way that I get in greens and the way that I get in vegetables because I feel like I often just don't have the time for chopping the greens and chopping all the things I love to put on top. If I'm going to someone's house and I'm taking a salad, I'll make one of my great salads. On a Sunday when we're having family dinner, I'll make a great salad. But like any other day of the week, I'm like, where is a tailor bag? So. Taylor is the company that I typically... I'll get it either at Trader Joe's or at, it's Fred Meyer, which is near my house, which is a local store. It's owned by the Kroger brand. But they have these salads, Taylor brand, which I know are at many stores. And I know like the two or three that I love the most, and I buy those. Is it more expensive than chopping my own greens and all my other stuff? Yes, it is. But is it a way that I actually eat vegetables? Yes, it is. So doing that, getting my Taylor salads my and my Trader Joe's pre bag salads... Could it be something like getting your Stanley water bottle and drinking more water? Could it be asking your doctor for recommendations for vitamins and supplements? And in my case, for medication. So I take vitamins and supplements based on what my doctor has recommended to me based on lab work and things that she's seen. And then I also take medication. I take medication to support my ADHD. I take medication to support my sleep. And that really, for a number, for a few years, I was taking medication to help manage anxiety, which now I've worked my way off of. But for me, the medication is a really big piece of it. And I had this realization with my therapist a couple of years ago. She was asking me about medication. And at the time, I was taking medication for anxiety in the morning and the evening. And I told her, the evening pill is easy for me because I just take it when I brush my teeth. But I said, I cannot figure out how to get this morning pill in. It's just not built into my routine and I keep on forgetting it. And she said, Sarah, and I was kind of rolling my eyes, like, it's no big deal if I miss it every once in a while. And she was like, Sarah, this is a really important part of your self care. You have to find a way to make that medication get in your body every day. And whether it's setting an alarm on your phone or building it into like when you brush your teeth in the morning or like whatever the thing is, like, you have that has to be a priority. And I was kind of shocked that she was so firm on this. And then I realized, yeah, like, she's so right. And this is a thing that can have a big impact in my life. And I was like, oh, if I miss it here and there, no big deal. But if I'm missing it here or there, it's saying that I'm letting other things take precedence and I'm not prioritizing this thing that my doctor and therapist have said is really important. And I'm kind of poo-pooing it. Like, that's not a way to take care of yourself. So talking to your doctor about what you might need in terms of vitamins or supplements or medication... Also resetting your nervous system, which can also should also be done with the support of a doctor or therapist. Our nervous systems as moms are in constant overdrive. Our nervous systems are in fight mode, flight mode, freeze mode, fawn modes on a regular basis because of the intensity of motherhood. And especially when we go through seasons where mothering is really hard. And often if you have multiple kids, like every given day, you can be in one of those seasons with any of your kids and sometimes with all of them. So, how can you reset your nervous system so that you aren't in that constant fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode? This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So, from the creators of the hit podcast Who Smarted and Netflix's Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. when Vinny was really little, I remember probably for like the for sure the first year of his life and maybe even the first two years, every time I would get in the shower, I would think I heard him crying to the point that I would turn the water off to listen. And then I would be like, okay, no, I must not have heard it. And then I would turn it back on. But like oftentimes, multiple times when I was in the same shower, I would have to turn the water off because I thought I would think I was hearing him cry. And I would think, oh my gosh, he just woke up from his nap or he's he needs this or whatever the thing might be um, when I was home with him during the day and he wasn't you know, in, be able to be independent when I was in the shower. So I'd like have him down for a nap and then I would think I would hear him. Or even if my husband was home, I might be like, oh my gosh, I can hear him downstairs and they're doing something, but now he's crying and does he need me? My nervous system was on such heightened alert around if he needed me at any given moment that I couldn't relax in the shower. That is an upending of your nervous system. That is a nervous system on overdrive. The same thing would happen with sleep when, and this is really common when you have a newborn, like you are like sleeping with one ear open, one eye open. Like, what do they need? Are they starting to wake up? Is that like grunting a hunger grunt, a pooping grunt? (laughs) I'm just having a dream grunt. We know all the grunts, right? So the, those nervous systems, we have to re-regulate them. We have to reset them. And I am not a professional on that. So I recommend that you talk to your doctor and, and, or a therapist, a um, mental health specialist or a professional to help you with that. But that's really important and can really help you start to recover your nervous system in a way that you can start to decompress and relax. Next is getting honest with your relationship around overdoing, overproving, overproducing and perfectionism. What do these look like for you? Where are you overdoing, overproducing, overproving yourself? And where are you stuck in perfectionism? And what are the impact? What are the outcomes of that? What's the impact to your life when you are stuck overdoing, overproducing, overproving, when you're stuck in in perfectionism? If you can get honest with yourself and recognize that it's not serving you, it's only adding stress to your life. It's actually helping you model things you don't want to model for your children because you don't want your kids to be doing these same things. You don't want your kids to be perfectionists. You don't want your daughters to be feeling like they have to constantly overprove themselves, right? If you can get honest with your relationship around these things, then you can start to recognize when you're like, oh my gosh, I, here I am again overcommitting," or here I am again saying I can go one more step further. Here I am again, staying up late to get this just perfect when like a little less than perfect would totally cut it. Next is how are you spending... Daily time with yourself, even if it's in small doses. So I know saying like just spend time alone every day can sound like really luxurious and grandiose and also completely impossible. How are you having little bits of time to yourself on a daily basis? One of the things that has been really helpful for me, and I didn't even realize I was doing it until I'd been doing it for a long time, is Vinny and I walk to school almost every single day. And this year, even our commitment has been stronger. We walk in the rain. Today, we walked in the pouring rain to school. I had on a big puffy raincoat with a big huge hood. Piper had on her raincoat. Piper, the dog, had her raincoat on. And then Vinny had no rain gear whatsoever because that's how 11 year olds are. And so he just got soaking wet and he was totally fine with it. And, but we walk rain or shine. And the benefit of that to me is that I have this alone time when I'm walking back from school back to my house that I can think about what I'm doing in the, for the day. I can listen to a podcast if I want. I can listen to music. I can do absolutely nothing. I can think about nothing. Or I use that time a lot to catch up with friends on Marco Polo. And there's two women I talk to pretty much every single day on Marco Polo. We have a three-way Marco Polo channel. And we shoot video messages to each other. And oftentimes, one, the first one will send a message at like 6 a.m. Then I send a message at like 8 a.m. And then the third one sends hers around 9 a.m. But it's our way of checking in. We check in on personal things. We check in on work things. But it is a really significant connection point on a daily basis that is added so much value to my life. And I think all three, I mean all three of us I, I acknowledge this is like has become so important in our lives, this ongoing conversation that we have every day. We started off thinking we were just going to support each other in business because we're all business owners that have businesses that kind of overlap in terms of how we run things and in terms of who we serve, but what we didn't realize I think was we that we have this like group to check in on and check with every single day and that what started out is like, what are you doing for your business? And can I get support on this? Or any ideas on this? Or does anyone have advice has turned into like, every single step of our lives is now being addressed on these calls. And so last week, you know, one of us had a dog die last week. And so there was a lot of conversation around that one of us is dating someone new who has kids. And there was a lot of conversation around that. For me, it's been conversation about Oh, my gosh, I just got into grad school, which I'll spend a whole nother episode talking about in the coming weeks. But it's all these life moments that aren't connected to our businesses that have been so significant. And it's really taking this time for myself on this walk back from school, which takes like, probably eight minutes. But I get that time to either be totally alone, or if I want to check in and connect with someone I can and that makes a huge difference in my life. The next thing that you can do is Restorative activities. So, how do you pull yourself out of burnout? By finding restorative activities that give you energy. This can be hobbies. A lot of my friends crochet or knit for this. A lot of people I know read or listen to audiobooks. I love to puzzle. Like, puzzling is a huge restorative activity for me. Skiing is a restorative activity for me. I just spent three days skiing over the long weekend, over President's Day weekend. And I felt like I had so many things I should have done for work because I'm going to be missing a bunch of work this week while I'm at this baseball tournament. But I, I let myself just ski every day. It was so fun. It was so freeing, even though the snow sucked. <laughs> it's like the crappiest ski season ever, but it was so fun. And I got to ski with friends. I got to ski with my husband one day. We left Vinny home another day. I skied just with Vinny. And then at the third day, I got to ski with a handful of friends from like some from a mom from Vinny's school. And then one of my best friends has a cabin up where we have a cabin. Got to ski with her and her kids. So restorative activities that are getting me out of the house. Where can you have restorative activities around hobbies or time with the people that you love, whether it's time with a partner or friends, where can you have restorative activities that get you out of your house and let you engage with the world in a different way? Maybe it's volunteering. Maybe it's going for walks. Maybe it's solo time, but maybe it's with some front, you know, activity with other people. Another restorative activity for me is volunteering at Vinnie's school. I have a ridiculous amount of time when I volunteer at Vinny's school. Every time I, especially if I'm helping volunteer for an event, which I got to do a lot of when I was co-chair of the parent association. But now that I'm not in that role anymore, if I go and volunteer to help them set up for an event, I always leave thinking someday I just want to work at a school. Like, it's so much fun. And I know it's not all fun and games, but it's so much fun. So time at Vinny's school is really restorative for me. What are restorative activities for you? The next solution is scheduling social time that pulls you outside out of isolation and loneliness. How do you schedule that time? When we schedule things, we are accountable for making them happen. So if you schedule a walk with a friend, if you schedule a virtual coffee, if you schedule a night out, if you have those things on the calendar, you have that accountability to have to pull yourself out of isolation and disconnect from that hole and reconnect with another person. So how are you scheduling that time? And then lastly, the last solution is to actively reject mom guilt. As you start to recognize that you want to be accountable for pulling yourself out of this ongoing exhaustion and that you want to make a long-term commitment to prioritizing yourself in different ways, how will you actively reject the social construct of mom guilt? And I've done multiple episodes about how mom guilt is a social construct. Mom guilt is something that we have been trained to feel as women when we have children. It is. It doesn't deny we act like the guilt that we feel is actual guilt. We actually feel bad, but we are feeling bad because we feel like we are not meeting the expectations that society puts on us as moms. That is a social construct, a social construct in which we are trying to respond to what society is demanding of us rather than taking care of ourselves and prioritizing our own needs. So how will you actively reject that society says I should do this and I'm going to choose to not do that and I'm not going to feel bad about it? Because society doesn't get to dictate how I use my time, my energy, and my resources. I get to dictate that, and I'm not going to feel guilty about my choices. So there you have it. That is my culmination of all the goodies around managing motherhood exhaustion and burnout. I hope this was helpful. I hope you took notes. Definitely listen to this episode more than one time, especially if you weren't in a place to, to take notes, because this is messaging that probably takes a minute to sink in if you are kind of in the depths in the bowels of burnout and exhaustion. And obviously, please share this episode out with other moms who might be struggling with exhaustion and burnout, which is probably every mom that you know, because we can all use this information and we can all start to heal together. So as you are healing, please know that as you navigate exhaustion and burnout and all things in motherhood, know that I'm in this with you always. Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe. Go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few Two sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone